Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Professor Anthony Zenkis. He is a New Yorker, an activist, a non-profit leader, and a TED Talker. He also lectures at Columbia University in Adelphi, where he's helping to educate the next wave of social workers who will make America a better place. Social workers don't get enough credit for the amazing things they do, and I really want to thank all of you out there who are social workers. Thanks for listening. Solidarity forever. He is a professor. He is a TED Talker. He is everywhere on the internet. He's a big deal. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Am I? I, I think so. Yeah, on leftist Twitter. I think so. Well, there you go. I know. It's hey, a, I've it's retweeted a, a lot of your stuff. Your stuff is it everywhere. It depends on the week whether uh, they, they love me or they hate me. So it is what it is. <laughs> so I think it's pretty cool. I, I do this anonymously. Um I don't go too much into my background, my personal history, anything like that. Although, you know, as I started to get deep into this activism stuff and political philosophy, I felt like, you know, I needed to be a voice, you know, out there. Whether it's, you know, joining together with people, educating people, just tweeting stuff, whatever. Trying to join a cause and and taking part in making this world a better place. But someone like you, uh, you know, a public figure, you've done TED Talks, you're at a Ivy League, uh, you know, as a professor... So, you know, you have a lot to lose, you know, but you, you're willing oh, yeah. to have your face out there. I've even looked at some of this stuff as I was recent, uh, researching for the podcast today. Uh, what's it like? The Professor Watchlist, the right wing, you know, website yeah. trying to track. Oh, no, I'm, on, and so I'm on two. I'm on two. I'm on the Professor Watchlist, which, oh, God, what's that little dweeby guy's name? Who yeah, I know that? what you're talking about. Yeah, the... Uh, is it Ben? It might be Ben Shapiro. I, I it's one of those guys, and then, and then there's another one. Oh, Charlie! No, Charlie. Kirk. Yeah, yeah, that's Charlie he's, Kirk, right? Yeah. Oh, he's such a he's like a little mosquito. Yeah, and um, I'm also the turning on, point, right? He's the turning yes. point website. Yeah. yeah, like it's a thing. Um, yeah. I'm also he, he's like 20, and then I'm also on Antifa Watch. <laughs> so, oh wow, what's that? But they don't know is my dues to Antifa have lapsed. So I'm no longer a, a member in good standing. It's five ninety five a month. And uh, it was that or, um, you know, Discover Plus. And yeah. I went with the streaming service. Yeah. So, so I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a joiner. I'm an anarchist. So I kind of uh, oppose political parties and that kind of stuff in principle. 
Um, but I, I definitely wanted to take part in, you know, kind of get my voice out there. I felt like, you know, having a podcast and talking with people and educating, you know, or at least having discussions with, you know, people um, with great ideas is, you know, what, what the show is all about. But what, what I about, have to like, interrupt you. Go ahead. Uh, for those that listen, uh, MC, that's what we call you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't see MC, but I can right now. MC Uh-oh. is is really good looking. So <laughs> you just you just need to know that. Wow. And uh, and, uh, and and smooth talking. So all right, let's hear it. Thank you, sir. Well, I, I show my eye on Twitter. That's all. I show my eye. That's all. I, the all seeing eye. That's what I do. Yeah, that's what I do. But we're um, all in the Illuminati. Really. What's the Illuminati? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh come on. Don't <laughs> I'm a even. philosopher, so I like to get definitions out there. When people oh, have, I don't know. I, it yeah. depends on depends on who you talk to. Um, really, it's it, it's it's one of those little little blips of pop culture. I yeah. mean, the original Illuminati was something from the um, 1700s Bavaria <laughs> or Germany yeah. or something. So anyway, but let's not let's not go there right now. Let's let's talk about let's talk about censorship. Let's talk about the consequences of speaking truth um, to power. So I, I've said this before, and I think that's the Quakers' slogan: "Speak truth to power." But the thing about speaking truth to power, those in, in power know exactly what they're doing. So more so, I think I'm speaking truth to the masses. But uh, just to use a saying, speaking truth to power, there are consequences. There are people that want to silence you. So what do you think about? You know, risking your yourself, your career, everything you have to lose, censorship, being tracked by Antifa Watch and Professor Watchlist. Um, how long have you kind of been engaged in activism? And do you feel like there are consequences because of now that you're a public figure and because you're out there and because you're getting your political views out there on Twitter and elsewhere? Well, let's talk about that. But let me jump, jump, jump in just because you asked to the history just for a second. How long have I been an activist? I remember I went to Catholic school and uh, I remember being in eighth grade and once every month or two, the parish pastor would come to the classrooms and talk to us in our religion class about Jesus. And uh, then he said, you know, you can ask any questions you want. So I had two. My first was um, if thou shalt not kill is a commandment. Why is war okay? And why do we have a death penalty? And the second question was, why does the Pope ride around in a limousine? So even, even when I was 13, 14 in eighth grade, I was like, you know, calling out the hypocrisy and, and really innocently back then, like it just didn't make sense to me. And um, I can't, I can't think that, those views aren't just the the foundation of my views my entire life politically, which is, um, you know, why do those in power act differently than they expect us to act? And uh, why do they make exceptions for their horrible behavior while pointing the finger at others? And this is like a common theme, whether it's Russia in Ukraine or you know, the Democrats, the elites in the Democratic Party um, pretending to care about the working class. You know, I think about AOC waltzing into the 
the uh, the was it the Met? Yeah, in the New Met York Gala. City. Yeah, yeah. The Met Gala. It's a big deal. I haven't been invited yet. I'm waiting. Um, I thought if they Mr. ever New York. Me, you haven't been invited yet. You're Mister New York. Wait no, a minute. No, but when when I do get invited, and I will, uh, I will make sure once I'm in there to excuse myself and go outside and stand with the protesters and then and then try to bring them in because there's always protesters i'm guessing but you know the hypocrisy and you know i'm not just picking on aoc but wasn't she supposed to be this big progressive i i was really excited when she won i was like who's this upstart bartender knocking out the number four democrat in congress saying all these wonderful things i agree with and then turning out to be a complete and utter grotesque fraud. And she is. It's disgusting. Like, I don't think we ever expect Nancy Pelosi to be a human being. But we had hope that some of these new blood folks that were coming in would try to make a difference. And I think that's the important thing. And we'll get into the censorship is that, but... um we on the left and, and the working class, I think, in general, doesn't expect victories every day. What we do expect is that there be somebody fighting for us. And when the masks come off and we realize there aren't any, there's nobody in government, there is nobody in national government fighting for us. I would think locally there definitely are. Um, but something happens when they pick who gets to run for Congress uh, Senate, and then of course the White House, where you know you make a deal with the with the devil or whatever you know with with the corporate donors, and you know the it's an unspoken rule. You just toe the line. We'll let you know what you're allowed to push back on, but not too much, right? But as far as censorship goes, I mean that that's the cornerstone free speech of supposedly the myth that is America. So I think America is a myth. You know, I don't think it exists. I think City it exists. on a hill. That's what uh, Howard Zinn had some lectures about. It's supposed yeah. to, it's supposed to start out as some city on a hill, like we're different than any other empire or country that came before us, which is if a complete you, myth. And I totally agree there. Right. And if you go back to, I mean, YouTube is great, and there's archives everywhere, not just YouTube. Well, YouTube also censors, but I mean, as far as like, if you want to see old speeches from Ronald Reagan from the '80s. You can hear him talking about that city on the hill. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, you had, uh, who was the next one? George George H.W. Bush. Uh, Here's a, the, the, and uh, he the was talking Bush, about the though. thousand points of light, you know? And, mm -hmm. no, I just want to say about the, the censorship thing is, this is, we are in crucial, a very crucial time when it comes to free speech. The internet was supposed to be a bastion of free speech that kind of reinforced the ability, the democratization of speech. We didn't just have to listen to whoever was uh, on the the three major networks or CNN or Fox, right? Yeah. You could broadcast your own views and you still can broadcast, but whether it's Google or YouTube or Twitter X. I don't call it X. I'm calling it Twitter. So F U Elon oh. and uh, or Instagram or or you know that's why they want to control TikTok because right now the Chinese government uh, isn't isn't doing the kind of censorship. I'm sure they're doing some censorship. They're not they're not like a free speech advocate government, but they're not doing the kind of censorship the U.S. government wants done. 
Uh, and suppression of speech is an issue. And right now, the Democrats are leading the charge in destroying democracy through censorship. So they are no better than Republicans. And on this right now, because they're in power, they are worse. And look what they did with the Hunter Biden laptop, right? And people say, oh, Trump was president then. Yeah, but whoever the operatives in the DOJ were, they weren't answering to him. They suppressed a credible, valid, and relevant news story weeks before a major presidential election, specifically to affect the vote. That is election interference, far more impactful than the Facebook ads that Russia bought in 2016. So, yeah, I think we have two authoritarian parties in the United States. What brand do you like better? Uh, And the other, you know, quip I like to make is, you know, United States is a one party state, the business party uh, with two factions. We also don't have any working class representation. I remember when uh, at, at the uh, at the midterms, um, I think there was something like what what is it now fifty one or is it fifty fifty split in the Senate? Uh, and yeah. I, I remember when they got all sorted out, and I tweeted uh, something like, "And the ruling class now uh, <laughs> now controls all one hundred seats of the Senate." You know, because what's the difference? You know, whether it's whether you went the blue team or the right. red team, the ruling class controls. Uh, both houses of Congress. That's actually why they made two houses. The, the idea was, if anything, in the, in the old days, the Senate was actually appointed just like the Supreme Court right. is. And it's absurd. The Supreme Court is appointed for life. It's going to be under right-wing reactionary rule for the next generation. But in the old days, the Senate was um, appointed uh, for those that would be sympathetic to the uh, landed aristocracy and the wealth of the nation so that if any uh, slightly progressive measure got through the first house, it would be stopped dead in the Senate. Right. Uh, the, the founding fathers knew exactly what they were doing, and the system holds up very well today. Um, as, as we can see, minimum wage hasn't been increased since, uh, is it nine years? Is it 2003? Something like that. Um, oh, no, it's, it's since 2009 was 11, the last 2009. Been a long time. Under, under, yeah. under George Bush. Uh, I did. The last, he was the last president to sign an increase, and it was in uh, oh, two wow. phases. Yeah. And the last phase, uh, up to 725 an hour, took place yeah. in 2009. And if I could just add something about the Founding Fathers, uh, the Founding Fathers were dicks. <laughs> So there's not a good one among the bunch of them. And like we could say Thomas Jefferson was a good writer, but he was a dick, right? Like if you have a friend and they know this person, they're always bringing around and 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 that person's a dick. Like you don't want to hang out with them. And what if your friend was like, yes, but they're a good writer. Yeah, but he's a dick. So like these people were selfish, entitled. Um white supremacists who believed they were better, not only than people with different uh, skin tones than them, uh, they believed they were better than people with less property than they had. And, um, and we, you know, we're, we haven't strayed from that. That's kind of America. And the myth is anybody can make it. It's, you know, you know how it is here. Um, but the, well, I can say one thing. The press was freer back then than it is now. 
Yeah, no doubt. We the social. I'm, I'm looking here. The social mobility index. Uh, I quoted this before. Let's look at the 2020 social mobility index. The United States at 27th on the list. The top of the list is. Uh, the Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Sweden, Iceland, Netherlands, Switzerland, Belgium, uh, much of the similar, you know, the similar countries at the top of the education and healthcare and happiness scales too. So uh, they're doing a lot better there. Not that capitalism is perfect. It's just a more benign form of capitalism. Uh, I wanted to, you talked about Ukraine, Russia, and mentioned the Bush. I retweeted this. I think it was on Sunday. Uh, George Bush II was, I think, actually the BBC. This is where I saw the video. George Bush II was making a speech and talking about Putin and said something about like a war criminal and one man, an autocrat, was disobeying international uh, law when he decided to invade Iraq. And then he, he laughed and said, and everyone laughed in the crowd, and he said, oh, I'm 75 years old. I'm sorry. I meant, I meant Ukraine. Um, right. But he was being honest there. That's a Freudian slip. I, I know. I remember that. that. It was it was a beautiful mo- moment. I forget that that Bush was the gift that kept giving. You know, because <laughs> Trump kind of broke everybody's brains when it came to what Republicans are. But yeah, Bush Bush was a Republican through and through, and he was an autocrat. He actually, I remember a quote by him said, I'm not necessarily against dictators as long as I, uh, dictatorships, as long as I get to be the dictator. (laughs) He left. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the um, Clinton started the uh, consolidation of government, corporate, you know, because our government is corporately owned, of corporate government power in 1995 or six under the Telecommunications Act, which really was a punch, a gut punch to free speech. Then... um, then they did 9-11, whether it was just complete incompetence or worse, it happened, and they used it as an opportunity, as the corporate government often does, to consolidate power. Oh, good. Let's do this. And they did the Patriot Act, which Democrats happily signed and never even try to whittle away at, let alone get rid of. Uh, so that set the stage. And everything that happens after it. And then I would say the third assault on liberties uh, happened under Obama and Biden in 2011 in December. Barack Obama signed the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012. And one of the provisions in there gave the government and the president the right to um, indefinitely detain without charge or trial anyone they wanted, including American citizens. And that that was part three of the uh, ending of our democracy. So when I hear people say, we've got to vote against Trump by voting for Biden to preserve democracy, and I laugh because we've had two decades, now three, of, uh, of presidents of both parties and members of the House and Senate of both parties, um, taking our democracy away, you know? Well, yeah, and taking our democracy away, but, you know, the way I see it, you know, it was never all that great to begin with, of course. Um, it was, The United States was a nascent empire to begin with, uh, a colony uh, that, you know, eradicated, you know, the indigenous 
um, it was Britain that actually put limits on the colonization of the United States. And that's a lot of the reason why the Native Americans here sided with Britain in the War of Independence, because they knew if the colonists won, it would be the end for them. And a hundred or so years later, and lots of empty promises and basically, um, you know, packing up the Native Americans and putting them in pockets in these reservations throughout the country. It was uh, biological um, terrorism, uh, extermination, uh, cruelty, violence, genocide. Um, so, you know, if you were a Native American, a woman, or a slave at the time of the so-called American democracy, there was no democracy for you. It was okay if you were a rich white male property owner. Uh, I want to get back to, uh, well, first off, top form, top-down forms of democracy. Uh, that's what the United States is usually okay with in foreign countries, especially those um, established uh, systems that are sympathetic or well-connected to American wealth and power. So typically, you know, puppet regimes across the world and the globe, especially the terrorist campaign in Latin America, where Reagan uh, was uh, the only president to be sanctioned by the International Court for uh, International Terrorism for what he was doing uh, in Nicaragua. Um, but I want to go back to Obama, the drone wars. So expanded the Patriot Act, uh, the drone wars, the illegal assassination campaigns. He's a deporter-in-chief, breaking all records for deportation. And he was also, uh, his administration, he's supposedly some uh, constitutional law scholar. Uh, he uh, prosecuted more whistleblowers uh, in the history of the United States more than any other administration. Uh, I like a lot of the stuff that Edward Snowden had talked about um, you know, with his revelations and basically uh, all the things that came out with, um, you know, I think he was a whistleblower. I think he was a patriot. I think he was a hero, an international hero, an American hero. Uh, and yet, you know, Obama and the Obama administration, um, he was basically exiled uh, to Russia, where I think, you know, again, he should be celebrated as a whistleblower and as someone that shed light on uh, American corruption of power. I think the same thing for Julian Assange. I think that we have to have, uh, and I think Assange has said it too. I think what I want is transparency um, for government and corporations. In fact, I'd like to get rid of corporations and replace them with co-ops and democratically organized institutions. But what I want for power centers is transparency. And what I want for individuals is privacy. I, I think that we should not be under the scrutiny of surveillance from our government, from the FBI. I don't think foreign uh, citizens should, should be under the scrutiny and surveillance of the CIA. Uh, and yeah, I think that the way I see, I'm sure China is, and every government is spying on their citizens. Um, the biggest enemy and the biggest threat to any government is the domestic population. But I think the main reason um, there is so much pushback for TikTok it's because they're winning. It's very popular, especially among um, young people. Uh, it's, a, it's an app that's very popular. It's growing in popularity, and I've seen stats like people spend more time on it than any other form of social media. And I think the American Silicon Valley and the corporate state nexus is threatened, and that's why they want to get rid of it. So, um, But I'm sure China yeah. is spying on its citizens, and if China is spying on its citizens, what the United States is doing is probably – 10 times greater uh, than, than the, what the Chinese government is doing just because of our resources and, and power and the, and I well, guess the I wealth remember, too. I remember when the protests in France were heating up at the uh, beginning of the summer and you could go on TikTok, end of the spring, beginning of the summer, the anti-government protests on in France and you could go on TikTok and see 
you know, tons of, of, of live footage of what the French police were doing, the, you know, basically the French government through the police were doing to the protesters and how they were ignoring democracy and the idea of democracy and free speech. Uh, and the news, mainstream news here wasn't covering it. Uh, and you didn't even see much of it shared on Twitter. So I I would think that people had the footage and shared it and it just got suppressed. Elon, you know, talk about, he's, yeah, he's just as bad as Jack and just in his own way. You know, you give a billionaire a toy and they're going to, they're going to break it. And it, it, it's no different. I was suppressed under Jack. Dorsey and uh, as were other leftists and we continue to fight today like RBN revolutionary blackout network. They're Mm -hmm. absolutely suppressed, not just on YouTube. They're suppressed on Twitter. Um, You know, they've got tens of thousands of followers, active viewers on YouTube, and yet they'll put up a post and it gets 50 likes. I mean, not always. Sometimes they'll break a few hundred, but if they weren't suppressed, they'd be getting thousands of likes, you know, and views for their for their tweets. So there again, you know, the censorship is is more subtle today because billionaires own the public square, you know. And back in the 17 and 1800s, if you were a white person, especially a land owning one, but you could walk into the town square and you could say, here, here's what I think. But if you had a friend with a printing press, you could uh, print something up and hand out leaflets. You had an equal voice to anybody else that was doing it. Now you've got billionaires owning the town square. And if they don't like or are threatened by, which really is what the deal is, they're terrified of us, of what you're saying, they will suppress you. And, they, and you know, they don't have to, they don't have to take your account away, although they surely did that. During COVID, when they took Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone, uh, the, the, the guy who came up with a me- messenger RNA, mRNA technology, which was used for the COVID vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, um, he was kicked off of LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn and, and Twitter and everything. But... Um, LinkedIn is so desperate for people to use it. They get, I, you know, it's, it's like a weird, a weird friend that like, you don't talk too much and they're texting you constantly. And, uh, and it's like, I don't want to hang out with you. (laughs) So, and LinkedIn is like, and still they kicked off Robert Malone. So, you know, but normally it's not that blatant and you don't know what you're not seeing. And most Americans just go through, you know, blum, blum, de blum. Uh, we don't know what we're not seeing. And if they can suppress different thoughts. And by the way, I'm okay if somebody's completely bonkers and making something up. I have a brain in my head. If someone said drinking motor oil will prevent cancer, I, I'm not trying it because I'm not a complete idiot. Right. And, uh, you know, people should be able to say what they want. And um, it, it's just, you know, here we are in this myth of America. Nothing about what they ta- tell us America is, is true. Nothing. The only thing exceptional 
exceptional about this country is that, you know, and I mean the politics of it, is that it sucks. We're exceptionally bad at a whole bunch of things. As far as like people go and the land goes and the culture, it's like, this is where I grew up and I like that. But as far as our system of government, we're so archaic. You know, I, you could go to any country in Europe right now on vacation if you can afford it. And if you like fall down a set of steps and break your ankle, you will go to the hospital and they will fix it and not give you a bill. Yeah, you won't get ban- you won't become bankrupt because of a. Uh, and then and when you, people, yeah, are scared about here coming to America. What if I have an injury? It's going to bankrupt me. And I think a lot of people are taking out insurance that. policies because they they're scared to come here. So they want to take out an insurance policy for the week they're here, just in case, because they don't want to be bankrupted or get a hundred thousand dollar bill. And I know people that went to Canada, and there was an emergency medical situation. They went to the hospitals for their child and were treated and they were like, well, what do we owe you? And they looked at them like, what are you talking about? Like that's, and it's sad, you know, that you, you talk to people in other places, even, you know, they do have co-pays. So like in the UK, the national health service, people do pay for some things, but not very much. There's a, a famous video that was making the rounds a couple of years back about how much it costs to have a baby tens of thousands of dollars in the United States. And and they ask people, women, especially in, in the UK, and they're like, I don't know, $200, $500? And they're like, no, it's twenty to $30,000. So I, I had a, a coworker, actually. Um, she was, I believe, in New Jersey. I don't want to give away too much of this stuff, but she was out of state in New Jersey, um, a couple hundred miles away from uh, the state she was living in. Had a baby, it was premature, um, out of network, got a bill for $50,000. She wasn't even out of the country. Uh, she was a couple states away and got a bill for $50,000. And All I have to that, say is that better sure. be one good, one good baby. Yeah. Because, because when this kid's three, if they're, if they're like not cool, you know, you're just going to be like, listen, <laughs> I paid $50,000 for this baby. And it is annoying. Um, but had insurance, you know, not even out of the country, had insurance. It was oh, just yeah. out of network and it was an emergency. Sometimes, you know, sometimes that, that kind of stuff happens. But uh, in our system, uh, that's the most common reason for bankruptcy. I believe over 60% of bankruptcies in the United States are the result of an emergency, a direct result of an emergency um, medical condition. Um, what do you think about the. So oh, I wanted to say this here, free speech, which I'm totally for. I don't necessarily think I'm like a free speech absolutist. I don't like to, I don't like to, you know, propagandize the rhetoric of billionaires like Elon Musk, but I'm for free speech. Uh, I want to limit it as much as possible. Uh, I think if you give, if you give the government or some sort of body, whether it's a corporation like Twitter, um, the right over free speech or the right to censor or the right to say what you can say and can't say, you're essentially giving that body or that authority the right to truth. So I don't want that at all. But I'm for as much free speech as possible. If someone wants to say that motor oil cures cancer, I'm fine with that because I have a brain too. And I can analyze that and know that it's nonsense. Um, I don't think it's a good thing for people that that are just out there saying lies, but I, I respect their ability or I respect their right to do so. If they want to lie and, and to talk about nonsense, that's fine. I think they should have that right. So, uh, again, there's a lot of rhetoric about free speech and democracy, 
But those with power and privilege have never been in favor of either because it interferes with privilege. So I agree. Um, Twitter is a town hall. I would like it under um, public control or potentially control over the workforce. I'm an anarcho-syndicalist. I want a society structured around um, democratically organized institutions. So at least the way that my ideal society would run would be the workers of Twitter equally own it, manage it, and split up the profits. Um, you know, this is like the long run idea. Uh, and then eventually you can even start to talk about, you know, are profits a good idea? Do we need a society uh, that, you know, functions? Certainly not a healthcare system that uh, that is uh, designed and organized around profits. I think this could be essentially, it could be a bad thing. Um, and then the same thing for property too. I think what we need is a more egalitarian society where resources are split up evenly instead of society where I guess we're in the new gilded age where we're at an unprecedented level of wealth inequality. And that's what, some of the stuff on uh, your TED Talks. You're a TED Talker. That's some of the, the some of the um, I guess the the big themes in your works and your talks are inequality child development um, and how it can affect, uh, I guess, overall well-being and brain development. Can you go into maybe some of the topics on your TED Talks and how this wealth of quality yeah. can have a, a, enormous effects long-term on children? Yeah, my TED Talk is entitled, and I don't know if it's suppressed or not. I just don't know because I don't know how many views it's supposed to get, but it's uh, entitled Watch the Gap, How capitalism negatively affects development of children. And I came to this area of study as somebody who has worked for much of my career in the field of victim services, child abuse, intimate partner violence, sexual violence, and uh, and and the ensuing trauma that can come from it. And so there was a landmark study by the CDC before it became politicized in the late 90s called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. They showed that the more traumatic events a child was exposed to in the first 18 years of life while they were children, the more likely it was they were going to have a whole bunch of really bad health outcomes and social and behavioral outcomes like the more abuse and neglect and trauma a kid had, the more likely they were to be uh, have a mental illness diagnosis or to have addiction or to have cancer or to be obese, you know, to a point that is medically uh, concerning. All of these negative outcomes. And so people with the most trauma have the lowest life expectancy, right? So then... Then the moment, the the unification moment happened, the light bulb went off, and I started reading research about inequality. And it was the same correlates. I, I saw the research of people like Richard Wilkinson from the UK, and they had really, you know, clearly shown how unequal societies do far worse than societies that are less unequal and that inequality can do the same things as far as bad outcomes to a to a child throughout the lifespan even into adulthood as being physically or sexually abused by a by an adult can so um you know there there are links between 
things like clinical depression and anxiety and inequality, right? So the human condition is not one of illness. It is actually one of health. We have a fairly miraculous system. We fight infection pretty well. Um, you know, you, you scratch yourself and if there's a wound, it heals. We're really good at a whole bunch of things. In our natural state, mental illness is rare, but we're not in our natural state. We're in a hyper-individualistic, competitive, capitalist society, which destroys human connections, which are essential for mental health. So, you know, if you look back, anthropologists will tell you this, like humans are group animals. We're animals. We're in the ape family. We're actually one of the four great apes. People can look it up if they don't know this. There are gorillas, chimpanzees, orangutans, and homo sapiens. We are one of the four great apes. We are like other, not all other, but like most other primates, very, very strong group um, animals. And we need each other for a whole bunch of things. Humans wouldn't have survived. You know, we weren't very big. We didn't have like big claws or fangs. We were the prey, not the predator when we were hunter gatherers, you know, and uh, the only way we were able to survive, like get away from predators that wanted to kill us was by uh, acting in a group. And the only way we were able to find food sources were by acting in a group. That's been us for 97% of our social evolution as a species for the past almost 300,000 years, we think, except for agriculture. When agriculture happened, there's a debate, 10,000, 12,000, maybe even 15,000 years ago. What ended up happening is that changed and hierarchies were formed. People started hoarding things. And that's where we are today. So the hoarding of wealth and resources uh, is toxic to the human condition. Uh, Let's fast forward to where we are right now. Like right now, poverty more than doubled in the past two and a half years under Biden. People are going through excruciating suffering right now, like having to make decisions. Do I put gas in the car so I can go to work and keep my paycheck? Or do I feed my kids? That's where we're at right now. And on top of it, we're getting gaslit, right? So as far as my TED Talk goes, uh, which obviously predated Biden, the TED Talk is from 2016, I looked at that connection between inequality and bad health and behavioral outcomes, including societal violence. Violence is much more prevalent in more unequal societies. That's from the research from um, a guy named Dr. James Gilligan from Harvard University Medical School, their violence center. And it's very clear correlation. The more unequal a society is, the more serious violence it has. Um, And, you know, the myth we've been told for the longest time is that this stuff is genetic, whatever that even means, because people don't even know how genes work. Genes respond to the environment. And if your environment is life affirming and safe, and uh, and there are meaningful connections, right? You and you're not in a p- position of scarcity. You're going to grow to your like biggest potential. But you know, living in the society that we live, where it's everybody for themselves, you know, you can go bankrupt if you get a, a heart disease diagnosis. 
or your kid has a rare cancer, um, that society is completely antithetical to what a human, a real human society should be. And the both parties, now going back to this whole thing, both corporate parties reinforce this sick, toxic system and then blame the individuals when they act out or they get sick. Uh, and it, it's just, you know, it, when you look at the people on time, I read an, an interesting stat, and it was people who win the Oscar, the Academy Award, have a significantly longer life expectancy than those. They live an average of four years longer than those who were the runner-ups. Winning is everything. They've done these experiments with uh, little little capuchin monkeys and put them in cages. The one that becomes the dominant one lives longer. And there's nothing genetically that would make that happen. It's just being subordinate like we are in the working class to the elites causes chemical changes, even on a genetic basis, cellular level in our bodies that um, shorten our lifespan. And I mean, I can get more technical into it because I know I follow you and I see the I see some of the the, the things you like. I know you like Illuminati bot because sometimes you've retweeted them. Hey, sometimes. look, <laughs> sometimes they say cool things yeah. and sometimes sometimes they're just a little nutty. But I think maybe that's their the point of that account is yeah. to be nutty. Yeah. But um, there are these little things called telomeres that are on the end of our chromosomes and they keep all the genes in place. And as we age, naturally the telomeres start to loosen and the cells get lazy at rejuvenating themselves. Eventually you age to the point where you can no longer rejuvenate and you die. And they looked at telomeres of kids like that were 10, 11, 12 years old growing up in um, severe poverty in the United States. And their chromosomes uh, resembled like adults in their 60s. So capitalism itself is deadly and toxic, the system as we have it. And uh, neither political party, if we want to say they're separate, the Democrats or the Republicans, neither of them wants to touch the systemic foundational problems that cause all the problems we're dealing with. Both are really, really, really turned on by the idea of war, which is sick. They're ghouls. Um, None of them have to sacrifice. You know, I remember, well, I don't even want to get into it, but yeah, go ahead. (laughs) So that was why I did my TED Talk. So people should watch it. Watch the gap. That's fantastic. I was written down all kinds of stuff here while you were talking, uh, all talking points that I have interest in. Uh, And yeah, part of what capitalist society does it itemizes us. Uh, we're supposed to be obsessed with self-interest, greed, competition. Any failure is because of the individual, not the society. The way I see it, poverty um, exists uh, in a society that has failed. In a truly functioning society, there would not be a need for charity. Uh, a true democracy um, hopefully would take care of the most vulnerable members of society. What uh, capitalism tries to do is get rid of natural values. Um, I think values that are deeply ingrained into our species, things that just make sense. 
like solidarity, cooperation, mutual aid. These things have to be beaten out of our heads. Um, and the thing about crime, um, perception of crime is through the roof. Although uh, real crime rates have been relatively stagnant in the United States, uh, the United States is the only country in the world where two politicians get on stage and debate each other about who's going to be tougher uh, on crime. Whatever that means, the United States is already a police state. It's a surveillance state. Uh, It's a state of mass incarceration. We lead the world in number of prisoners and also incarceration rate. Um, Again, most... Most crimes are poor people uh, committing uh, committing crimes against other poor people. Um, and I think one of the reasons that crime uh, is rampant and it increases is, is in, in inequality, poverty, uh, the breakdown of safety nets in society. The welfare state has been eroded. And one of the ways or one of the places that we put the superfluous, the marginalized, those that don't contribute to production is prison. We no longer have, you know, mental health, or at least it's not, it's certainly inadequate. Um, now that, you know, if you're homeless, um, you know, our health care is tied into us having a job. And that's one of the reasons that uh, American workers are so exploited, because we know if we lose our job, we're also going to lose our health care. And if we lose our health care, we're probably going to go bankrupt. Um, the Jim Crow South, part of what it did was criminalize black life. And the way I see it, the race war, the class war, and the war on drugs is all one and the same. Uh, And I think the way I see it as well, um, uh, slave labor never ended. If you look at our uh, state of mass incarceration, you have people working for literally pennies a day, pennies a week, uh, forced labor, especially in um, states like Texas and Arizona with these heat waves. Uh, it's inhumane. I actually looked at Texas, talked to a couple of prison guards here. There's no air conditioning here, so it's oh. not uncommon for the prisons to be 120, 130 degrees in these little tin cans and we, and inside. We can, and we can directly thank Joe Biden joining with fellow Republicans, because Joe Biden's a Republican. (laughs) Joe Biden joining with fellow Republicans to cause the explosion in the prison population. Because once the federal government did that, the states followed in suit, you know. So there are these people who disingenuously point out, well, you know, he wasn't in charge of the states, but the states followed the federal government's lead with mass incarceration. When that that anti-working class crime bill was passed, um, something I want to push back. 1994, I believe, the crime bill. Yeah, it was, was one of the yeah. architects. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, he, he was the author, literally the author of it. And um, he was proud of it. He said he was such a dick. Biden is still a dick, but he was more of a dick then because he was a little more, um, you know, coherent. Yeah. Clear cognitive decline. Clear cognitive decline. He didn't have dementia then, and now he's got obvious signs of age-related dementia. That's not a diagnosis. It's an observation. So um, something I want to spend a second on here that you brought up is the connection, the interconnection, the intersection of the war on drugs, censorship, mass incarceration, income inequality, and racism, because there have been some on the left uh, in the since Cornell West's candidacy has been declared. There have been some on the wet left who have started to attack Cornell West and his supporters for 
even mentioning the phrase white supremacy or racism. And that is deeply troubling. Uh, side note, they're all white. And um, it is deeply disturbing and concerning. You know, and I saw it on the Jimmy Dore interview with Cornel West. And he was like, well, well you know, you're going to center white supremacy. And it was like, and then he goes in trans rights. Like, yes, yes, those things matter. If you're if you're a non-white person, if you're a non quote unquote straight person, those things matter and they are real. The United States history with anti-black racism is deeply tied to capitalism and uh, not and ignoring it because you're afraid some quote unquote right 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 wing people who are white may not like that discussion that's not okay you know we we don't change the message because it might offend someone we absolutely use that as a teachable moment so you know here's the thing yes white people can be poor in this country and they are but they're never poor because they're white white people can be incarcerated or victims of police brutality but it's never because they're white. And with black people, it's because they're black. And somebody could say it's a class issue, but there are cases of police brutality against black men who are millionaires, athletes. So those things can coexist. We can have a working class awakening and also include the understanding that racism exists and must also be fought along uh, with economic you know, the fight for economic justice. Uh, all that stuff was uh, great. Totally agree with it. Uh, maybe I'll get to hit on some of those points there. I do want to mention, that's made me think of it. I'm now in Texas. I'm originally from the Northeast. I've relocated here uh, about a year or so ago. But um, local showed me this video uh, documentary. It's called The Valley of Tears. It took place in Raymondville, Texas. It's about the onion strikes when the migrant workers, those with Hispanic and uh, Latino uh, origins, um, basically migrant workers that would move place to place without any benefits, without any retirement or days off, they would just you know go from one season to the next, uh, you know, I guess farming the fields and whatnot. Well, they were tired of um, you know having to withdraw from schools, their children not graduating, um, you know, not having jobs later in life, not having a good future. Um, also tired about not getting any benefits, getting poor pay. And they just sat down. And the one re- one issue was like, I guess the onion fields, like onions have to be picked once they're ripe in, in a certain period of time. So it was very powerful. And it was put down by force. The strikers and the resistors were, you know, violently, um, you know, arrested, beaten up. Um, and this is all in a town, Raymondville, Texas. It was a, it was a town. It was like 90 some percent, uh, of Mexican origin or background, Latino, Hispanic. Um, and yet the small minority of white people was ruling the entire town. They were the superintendents. They were the sheriff. Uh, they were the jailers. They were the police, um, so yeah, this all that kind of stuff is. A, it's, I think this took place in the late seventies, early eighties. Okay. Shout out, though, I want to do a little shout out. Valley of Tears documentary, only thirty thousand views on YouTube. Really good, really good. And then the second thing, um, Unnatural Order. Of course, I'm holding this book up. You can't see me because this is audio only. This is my guy Jim Mason, author. He's going to be on my podcast here shortly. This was exactly all the kind of stuff you said though about how 
basically the, the capitalism is unnatural. So I don't know if you read his book, but all of those talking points the last few minutes were in this book. It's really good. I'm halfway through it. I look forward to interviewing him. But basically uh, uh, how human beings are kind of alienating ourselves from the environment, the planet, and we're taking this kind of us versus them mentality as we, you know, compete uh, or dominate our planet and dominate the animals here. Uh, we are a species that is leading to climate destruction, the climate crisis, mass extinction, uh, limiting uh, the biodiversity. Um, and this climate crisis could be the end of all of us uh, if we don't do something now and the time is ticking. So those are my two shout outs. Uh, Valley of Tears documentary, check it out, in Unnatural Order. A lot of the stuff you're talking about is in this book. I look forward to finishing it. I don't know if you've read it or not, but it's right up your alley. Uh, no, no, I'll check it out. Um, He's going to be on the pod soon, in a couple weeks. Just something about climate science. And again, I think this dovetails with racism, which is there are leftists, supposed leftists, who are pushing back against climate science. And they're doing it because for the same reasons they push back against trans rights and white supremacy, because the Democrats talk about it. You know what people, and I don't understand, if you are a leftist and know the Democrats are full of shit, why would you believe they care about anything they say they care about? So the Democrats say they care about climate change. They say they care about racism. They say they care about queer rights. They do not. Um, their policy history shows us that. But the problem with the climate science debate is you've got the WEF, the World Economic Forum, and that, you know, Klaus Schwab, Dr. Evil's up there saying, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And he's a nut, you know, and uh, he's nobody. Like, why does he have any power? He's just some guy with a weird, you know, um, a weird view of the world. And uh, but he's got powerful people that listen to him. They are going to do the thing about 9-11. People have conspiracy theories or maybe they're not conspiracy theories. Maybe they're just theories about conspiracies about was it an inside job? I did tweet an Illuminati bot one uh, about the 9-11. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it was it was a good one about the. No, and I don't even yeah. like that term. Yeah, but my feeling is this. I like to look at what we know. What we know is this. 9-11 happened. It did. And the government and its corporations that own it used it as an excuse to further erode civil rights. Yep. And, and um, you know, kind of capitalize their control. And they'll do the same thing with climate. See, that, that doesn't mean 9-11 didn't happen because they used it. No, no, no. It happened, and then they did this. It actually wasn't so, just America either. I, I read some Chomsky stuff on this. Uh, right-wing governments around the world used the 9-11 terrorist attack to erode civil liberties within the domestic population. And Israel, I believe, I believe attacked Palestine. I could be wrong on that, but a lot. I think Russia uh, did some. A lot, a lot of countries around the world, yeah. especially right-wing they used, countries. They love yeah. yeah the, the way, all all the countries are any excuse they'll take it to to erode right. uh, human gonna, rights, civil rights. They're going to do the same thing, and they're doing the same thing with climate change. It That's doesn't right. mean climate change isn't real. Climate change is real. Like it is absolutely established scientific fact 
that human activity has contributed to the largest concentration of uh, CO2 in our atmosphere. And CO2 is a greenhouse gas. That's simple physics. It traps heat. It's what it does. It's why greenhouses work, right? Because you've got plants and uh, you've got the, the atmosphere. The, the CO2 in the atmosphere traps the heat. It's that greenhouse effect. And of course, the, the glass outside of it does that as well. Now, so we know that the planet is on fire and climate, human, human caused climate change is the cause. So the WEF will come out with these, you know, like the Dutch farmers, they're getting their land taken away. All of those things are not okay. We need to deal with climate change. But what we don't need to do is have a bunch of elites using it as an excuse to erode our rights, whether or not I have, I don't, but I have a gas stove is not going to make a difference with climate change. But the Pentagon will. They blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, which was the United States did that, which was the biggest release of methane in history. Climate change causing methane. And and they're going to be like, you know, don't, no offense to the vegans. Well, you can't eat, you can't eat beef because cows contribute methane. Okay, but that Nord Stream pipeline contributed more than the cows. So, you know, they don't want to look at real solutions that are going to make a difference. They just want to use it as an excuse. And of course, large corporations are already planning how they can use climate change to make money. No question. that's you a lot know, of the fossil fuel companies. They're diversifying their technology. They're investing in renewable energy, green energy, because they know they have to clean up their act a little bit. They're not somebody's so diversifying. Somebody is going to build the barrier. That's right. Around Manhattan, <laughs> <laughs> someone's going to have to get paid for that because you're going to need to because it's going to be underwater. Same thing. I I was um, visited some friends at uh, Fire Island, which is a barrier island off of Long Island, uh, recently, and. Um, it's it's a pretty it's gorgeous but you know there's parts of it which sounds counterintuitive that are below sea level right because you've got the shore but then it dips right it's a place called sunken forest that's below sea level that place if they don't do build barriers it's gone Gone. in the next 20 years or so or maybe 30 i hope not but so like they're gonna make money off of the disaster disaster capitalism naomi klein uh, wrote about it uh, in the Shock Doctrine, which I refer people to. And even though it's like, I don't know how old it is, dozen years old, but it, it's it's excellent. They will do this. They will exploit it. But here's the good part. The good part is we're waking up. Across the board, people are waking up. People on the, they put us in right and left. We don't put ourselves there. But people, um, people who voted for Trump are waking up. People who voted for Democrats are waking up. And they're seeing the government for what it is. So those liberals we encounter on Twitter on a daily basis, that's not the majority of Americans. Sean Penn is not a good representation of the average American. Uh, and the, the, the waking up, I think is very terrifying to the ruling elite. And by that, I mean those who run our companies, Wall Street, and those who run our government. They're terrified of it. and um, But they can't stop it. And I do have that hopeful 
feeling, which is I don't see that stopping. No matter what they do, we keep pushing forward. And what 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 people get discouraged with is they lose a battle and they say, oh, well, that, that that's bad. You know, we're you know, we're defeated. And my response is, no, losing the battle is what galvanizes a bunch of people to say this is bullshit and keep fighting. When you look at things like and I'm not you know, I said the founding fathers were dicks and they were. But obviously the British crown was pretty horrible. And. You look at a snapshot in history, you look at the American Revolution. So what did we learn at school? In 1775, Lexington and Concord, blah, 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 blah. Declaration of Independence in 76, we were a free nation. Okay. That had been going on. Rebellions against the British crown in the colonies had been going on for decades. We don't learn about it. And none of those rebellions was, quote, unquote, successful. Until it was. And that's true with every transformational change, civil rights. Granted, we still have racism, police, racist policing, all of that, a racist criminal justice system, racist economy. But things are different than they were when Jim Crow was in full-fledged force. That doesn't mean we're good. It means it's not what it was. Civil rights, you know, people learn about it. Uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964. And then you fast forward to the election of Barack Obama. Some people hold that up as evidence that, well, we're not as racist as we used to be. Okay. The bottom line is, before the Civil Rights Act of 1964, for decades, there has been people pushing against the system of white supremacy. But we don't learn about it. We learn about a woman not giving her seat up on a bus in the 1950s. That's it. But we didn't learn about all the other things that happened in each, the Montgomery bus boycott, this, this, that. Every one of those things one could say, well, it wasn't successful because still racism, Jim Crow was the law of the land. Segregation was was legal until it wasn't. And again, the fight for (laughs) against racism and white supremacy is not over. But everything we look at We just look at the snapshot and we don't realize it took forever. I remember as an organizer at Occupy Wall Street, after the the encampment was brutally taken down by the NYPD in coordination with Obama's DHS. Oh, they say they had nothing to do with it, but they were coordinating with Bloomberg, of course. People... People felt defeated, some of us. And and I'm like, but but we did this. We literally occupied the lobby of Goldman Sachs. You know, we did an action that I was one of the people that organized specifically um, around Citibank uh, and one of their corporate offices. And, you know, we, it, was, it wasn't even big, but we had really good posters. And... Um, and we advertised it on the internet, and uh, we got a small crowd to show up. But I know somebody who worked there, and they got a memo saying, stay home. Occupy Wall Street's coming. So we literally shut down their business in the office for a day. Now, you could look and say, well, it didn't work because the banks still run this country. Okay. But we did it, and every little thing, every step along the way is a step forward. And that's – and I just want to – I know I just went on a – a long rant, and I'll, I'll give you breathing space here, and I apologize. Um, 
That's why the Cornell, I know that you and I disagree about electoral politics. I see the Cornell West candidacy as a potentially transformational moment for us. Not because I think electoral politics will save us, but because it could galvanize enough working people to say, okay, I want my voice heard. And when the system pushes back, and it will, that's a mask off moment. Every, and here's the thing. Everything they do to stop us, even if it temporarily is a setback, ends up being something that seals their fate even more. And they can't stop it. They're terrified of us. Uh, all those in power have is the power to um, the power of opinion. Uh, part of what the media does, it's a filtering system. It suppresses uh, unfavorable truths. Uh, it does historical engineering. It sets the tone. It frames the argument. And you said something about the experts. Experts are chosen, if I could paraphrase Henry Kissinger. They are chosen because they articulate the consensus of the ruling class. Um, I totally agree with pretty much everything you're saying here tonight. I think we disagree on much less very little and agree on many things. I'm an anarchist, so I oppose political parties in principle. I'm all for the Greens. Um, I'm, I'm all for, I think the two-party system here is corrupt and terrible. But my thought is if the Greens ever get corporate funding, uh, they will be corrupted as well. But I think they're great now. And having a voice like Cornell West outside the mainstream is definitely needed. Unfortunately, we're so far away from an independent winning um, you know, an election um, that it's probably not going to happen for Cornell West in 2024, but I'm rooting for him for sure. Uh, I'm in a red state, so it probably doesn't matter if I vote. Half the country doesn't think it's worth their time. Uh, but if you're in a blue state, a safe state, I would say vote your conscience, whatever candidate you like best. That's great. If you're in a swing state, I would recommend voting against the worst candidate between the two awful parties um, because I wouldn't abandon electoral politics. Um, but I do prefer, uh, I know the rhetoric is about the only thing that's different. I would prefer Democratic judges, uh, you know, in the Supreme Court than Republican ones. If that's the only difference, I don't know if it's worth it to vote. Uh, but it, honestly, I'm not going to really argue uh, for voting Biden. I'm never going to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, I would think if you're in a swing state, probably you don't vote against who you like best. You vote against uh the, the, the evil that you, you want to stop. But again, I'm not going to argue too strongly against that. Uh, and I'm all for Cornell West. And I hope there's a mask off moment. And I hope someone uh, like him comes along and actually wins one of these elections. I would like the emphasis to be more on local politics and state politics. And when we finally build up that base, then we can go all in for that uh, presidential uh, seat uh, in the White House. Okay. Let me break something here real quick. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you, you talked about MLK a little bit. He was assassinated, so everyone was all for even even many Republicans and definitely you know your your neoliberal uh, your mainstream your bourgeoisie uh, Democrats they were all for MLK when he was speaking out against racism and talking against racist sheriffs in Alabama and that kind of stuff in the Deep South. But when he started going after the economic system, that's when he was targeted. That's when he was silenced. He was assassinated while, I believe, in Memphis trying to organize a sanitation workers' strike. And I read this uh, on a podcast, and I want to read it again. I think it's really good. And this is MLK. And one day we must ask the question, 
Why are there 40 million poor people in America? And when you begin to ask that question, you are raising questions about the economic system, about a, about a broader distribution of wealth. So awesome words right there. Uh, that's when they started to go against MLK. Let's go back to, so I quote this study all the time, 2014, Princeton, we, don't, we do not live in a democracy. We live in an oligarchy. 90% of the population is disenfranchised. Their opinions are completely thrown out. They're not considered uh, in Washington in, in policy decision making. So I got here a Pew Research article that says two-thirds of Americans, this is 2020, I'm sure uh, it's higher now even, uh, two-thirds of Americans think the government should do more on climate. The vast majority, this is a huge majority, think that humans are responsible for climate change. So although there's rhetoric, oh, you know, half the the country thinks uh, climate change is is a liberal hoax and the other half says we should probably do something about it, it's a vast majority that thinks that there's climate crisis going on right now and that the government should do more about it so unfortunately two-thirds of americans is not enough we're probably going to need 90 some percent well, uh, but the climate science is in 96 percent think that um 96 of scientists think that it's climate change is happening and it's because of humans so we need to do something now it's happening whether or not you believe in it you know what i mean and, and i'm going to push back just gently on on one thing so i don't believe if you're in a swing state um, that the strategy should be voting for, against the worst candidate. This because, is probably the only thing we disagree on, and I'm fine yeah, with it. Go right ahead. Because the duopoly itself works hand in hand to bring us all the terrible policies. So, you know, a good example of that is Biden engaging in more oil drilling, approving the You're Willow right. Project, right. approving Joe Manchin's Mountain Valley Pipeline, um, blowing up the Nord Stream Pipeline, uh, all of those things, worse than Trump, Obama, worse than Trump, or any other previous president, too, on immigration. Uh, Trump was a, a cruel person with immigration, but those cages were built by Obama and Biden. That is Obama, the deported right. So I believe, you know, my I've gotten to the point, I was a Democrat, I used to knock on doors, make phone calls with my local Democratic committee, worked to elect Local state legislators, county legislators, town council members did it all, worked on four presidential campaigns. All Democrats, all Democrats. I've only donated to Democrats. And I think I donated to a couple of Greens, too. But um, at the beginning, right before the pandemic, actually, I I helped a kid. He was like 19 who was running as a Democrat for the state assembly. Hey, let let me pause you right here. You got two and a half minutes. The stage is yours. You've been a great guest. Two and a half minutes, whatever you want to get to, because we already said we're going to call it a night tonight. Two and a half minutes. I'm not going to interject anymore. Let's go to this baby shuts us off. Go ahead. All right. And so that's it. You know, like, um, so I've done that. But the bottom line is I'm opposed to the duopoly as others have come to this conclusion as well, that we cannot fight. If we think the Republicans are worse, and I will actually argue against it, I don't see them as worse. I see them as more honest in their contempt for the working class. I think the Democrats are worse because they pretend to care and then don't do anything. Uh, I am pro-reproductive justice. I don't even say I'm pro-choice. I'm beyond that. I believe in true reproductive justice, which goes across class lines. It's beyond pro-choice. All right, It's just my view. And... The Democrats didn't codify Roe the two times they had the chance in the past 10 years. They just, or 12 years, they didn't do it. So who's worse? I don't know. 
like I, I would say the Democrats because they they make us feel like, well, at least we're okay. But let me tell you, at least we were protesting the kids in cages when Trump was president. I don't want him to be president. I don't want Biden to be president. I will, by the way, say so. I think that um, pushing back against the duopoly, voting against the duopoly as a unit by voting green or for those that don't believe in electoral politics, do your community mutual aid and, you know, don't vote like that's that's what their choice is, is a far better choice for moving us forward. But there is a potential for Cornell West to win, and that is if there is a four-way race. Just throwing it out there, if third-way runs, it's anybody's game. Biden's poll numbers are dismal. Sure. Trump isn't well-liked. No. Nobody wants either of them to run. I also have predicted Biden will not be the nominee, and I'm sticking with that. Uh, but here's the thing. Let's have conversations like this, not just with me, among other people. 20 Let's seconds. Hear each other. Uh, and and let's let's keep the dialogues going. We're all trying to figure it out. We'll find our way forward, and we are unstoppable. Another world is possible, and that was one of my favorite solidarity. Anthony Zickas for from president. Occupy Wall Street. Anthony Zickas for president, twenty twenty eight. No, no, please no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you, sir. It's going to cut us off. You've been an awesome guest. We'll catch up again. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. Also want to thank my special guest, Professor Anthony Zinkus. We had a passionate discussion tonight on politics, society, social change, and the future of humanity. He had so much to say in such a limited amount of time, so hopefully we can do it again. Also want to thank all those social workers out there for all the amazing things you do. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out.